Thanks for having me. Well, I'm happy you could make it and I'm uh, happy to hear that you are doing better. Or let me maybe start with the most important question today. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm back to work. So, uh, you know, I can't ask for too much more. It's uh, It's been a crazy month, but yeah, uh, I'm walking again and I'm working and just glad to be back. We'll get to that story why I'm asking this uh, in, a, in a moment. But yeah, it's good to hear that... Uh, you're at least able to go back to work and uh, definitely be able to to walk as a bonus for that. Um, but let's maybe kick off with, you know, what's your connection with ramen? Like, what are you doing? Uh, you, I already mentioned you have a ramen shop, but let's maybe get into like, how did, how, how did it come to this? How did you get to have a own ramen shop? How did you get to this point? Like, where did I, are you asking like where I, like why I like ramen or like why I like uh, make ramen, I guess? I mean, let's maybe start with like where your love for ramen started. I'd say instant ramen and anime pretty much. Uh, so I, my uncle married a lady from the Philippines and she used to take me to the Chinese markets with her. And uh, I would always get like the, the instant ramens there were like always like noticeably better than like the American ones or whatever, like what you would see on the American shelves. And so I would like always get those whenever we go, she'd like buy me some and uh, they were just like so good. And I was like a picky eater. So all I would eat was just like instant ramens like all the different flavors and stuff like that whatever i could get uh and then yeah I, I just watched anime and stuff as a kid and my dad lived in japan and would always tell me about it so i guess the culmination of all all of those things just kind of fascinated me and then as i got older i started cooking and it's kind of uh it was kind of like that uh thing that just drew me in it kind of all made sense when i got there so you started with uh a love for Philippine instant ramen and uh, you have like a culinary background or how did you get started there? Like I said, I was like a really picky eater. So I didn't eat super healthy. Like growing up, like it was just like instant ramen and like Skittles and nachos and stuff like that. And then like I got older and then I was like, I should probably eat healthier. And then uh, I started cooking for myself a lot. And uh, yeah, basically I like was working in factories because I, I don't know, I dropped out of school when I was like really young. And then, uh, you know, I was just working in like food factories or like glass factories and things like that. Just not really jobs I like doing. And then I started cooking more and more and more. And I realized how much I liked cooking and like, uh, yeah, I pretty much just was like, okay, screw this. I'm going to like get a job cooking or whatever. And I, I couldn't get a job anywhere and eventually I got a job as a dishwasher and just worked my way up. And then from, how did you make the transition from that to, you know, owning your own ramen shop? Or how did you start up with like making ramen? Did you maybe start uh, first at home or how did you, you know, get to that point? So, um, me and my friend, uh, me and my friends used to go to, uh, come up to Portland or wherever we'd go and we'd try like different Asian restaurants. Usually we'd, when we'd go out, like, uh, my friend's Japanese. So like we, uh, we always wanted to go like get ramen or like uh, Korean barbecue or something like that. And we were always like, just trying to like, whenever we'd go out, we'd usually go for like food like that. And we'd try like all the different ramen shops we could, you know, whenever like we had like a weekend to do so. And, uh, basically it was just like, I, I knew like once I started cooking that I wanted to make, uh, I wanted to like learn more about like Japanese food and stuff like that. And so I started with sushi and stuff like that. Uh, and that's where I like my first job as a dishwasher was at a sushi place. And pretty much from there, it was just sushi restaurants. Uh, 
uh, and like Chinese restaurants and things like that. And then, uh, yeah, I just started making ramen at home because it was like kind of like this thing that like, you know, I watched all the videos like when I was like, like of like, uh, you watch like the, like different videos and like, you're like, oh, like this is like some crazy hard thing to make. Like it takes like days to make or whatever. So I never like really like jumped into it, but it was like a goal that I had wanted to do for a long time. Like I want to learn how to make ramen. I know it's like this hard thing to do. And then like, once I started doing it, it just like was fun. It like kept me, cause like, you know, you can get pretty good at cooking a steak like pretty quick or like pretty good at like cooking a lot of things like, you know, pretty quick. I was like, once you kind of like know how to cook, you kind of just like, once you study it and work enough places, whatever, you kind of know how to cook. And it wasn't like that with ramen at all. It was like so much stuff can be like opposite. There's like a lot less rules. There's like, I don't know. It's kind of just like you can do whatever, play around with flavor profiles. But if like one thing's off, it could throw everything off. So I made like a lot of bad bowls. And I guess that just like kept me interested through like all of it and just kept pushing forward because I don't like to like suck at stuff. So I wanted to like keep getting better at it. And then once I knew how to like do it, I was like, okay, like, you know, just consistently every day work on something like maybe I'll do like noodles one day, you know, oil the next day and like, just like keep like working every day, just like work on something to try and get better. Right. And then this was your, let's say, home cooking career, so to say, uh, when yeah. you started then making ramen for yourself and maybe for some friends. But then you also transitioned into a, and I looked it up, uh, you got your food truck roughly two years ago? Yeah. So how did that come to be? I was working, so I got a job actually at a monastery. I wanted to learn more about like Western cooking and stuff like that. And uh, the chef and me immediately got along. Uh, he was a really cool dude. Uh, and we like the monastery was like what I what I like we were for a third party company or whatever cooking for monks and uh, they grew their own food so we were like gardening growing our own food making a lot of stuff from scratch and like he was teaching me more about like French technique and like uh, uh, like Italian stuff and like more American style and stuff like that and I was like oh, okay cool like that's like kind of what I wanted to learn because up until that point I'd only worked in like sushi bars and Chinese restaurants and stuff so I was like all right like you know I wanted to make the change or whatever and uh, just. To, like learn more like further my career as a chef and then he basically ended up uh getting fired uh from that job and i got furloughed at the beginning of covid and uh he wanted me to be he, he was like okay well screw all this i'm gonna open a restaurant and he wanted me to be like his right hand man and like he was gonna like walk me through opening a restaurant because he knew that was my goal is to do a food truck or a restaurant one day and, uh, you know, I was like, all right, I have a five-year plan. I'm going to work for this dude for five years and I'm going a, I'm to a make it happen. And I'm going to like reach my goals and I'm going to just like grind it out five years under this dude, like, and just like work really hard. And he wanted to do like a ramen concept. And then it turned into ramen and sushi. Then it turned into like ramen and sushi and like other stuff. And I was like, as things stacked on, I was like, dude, that's going to be so much prep and so much work. And he only wanted it to be like me and him. And then like it turned from like, I'm going to pay you good to I'm going to put you on salary. And I was just like, whoa, hold the phone. I've been on salary before at other restaurants. Like, I know what that means. You like, it's going to be me and you, and I'm going to have to be here six days a week, like 14 hours a day. And like, I was like, all right, you better be like, I have to be paid good for that. And you know, like money just kind of came into it and we kind of went separate ways. And I had, when I first got furloughed, I got uh, on unemployment. And or I tried to, I'd never like actually got unemployment before. And so like, I just applied for it once. And then, uh, 
I didn't ever hear anything back and just like never like checked up on it because I was working under the table at uh, a place building food trucks because I was like, okay, you know, I'm gonna, because his restaurant wasn't open yet. So we were, I was helping him menu build, like come up with like recipes and stuff like that. So I was doing that, getting paid for that. And then also, uh, I was also uh, working at a place building food trucks throughout that whole summer. Cause I was like, if I'm gonna own one one day, I should know how to build one. And I found a job pretty close, like 45 minutes from me. And I was just like, you know, commuting there every day doing that and then helping him build menus on like off days and stuff like that. And then, uh, yeah, we basically, uh, one, one day, like the unemployment office hit me up and was just like, Hey, you have, uh, are you employed? And I was just like, I knew it was the unemployment office. So I was just like, uh, no. And then they were like, okay, well you have 14 weeks worth of checks and they all have COVID bonuses on them. Cause like during COVID they were giving like 500 extra dollars a week on top of everything. And so like they gave me 14 weeks worth of checks for unemployment plus the $500 every single of those weeks. Like, so I got like a bunch of money at once. And then there was like the government checks that were getting handed out for like a couple, like a little period of time. Plus I was working and then my apartment actually, like my car got stolen, my apartment got broken into. And so I got like, uh, I had like an insurance thing go on. And so like, I got like, it was kind of weird. Like I got like a lot of money all at once. And like, it was perfect timing because that was like the same week that I had just like, uh, decided to go separate ways from that, uh, my old boss ex chef or whatever. And, uh, I was like, dang, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I might have to go like back to a factory or something. Cause like the, the restaurant industry was kind of like wonky right at that period in time. And then, you know, I had enough money to like buy a food truck, like all at once. I like never really came into a sum of money like that. And I was like, okay, cool. Like all of this money just hit me at once. I can, I can, you know, afford to start my own business. My five-year plan just turned into a five month plan. Like, and I knew how to scale things. I've already worked in a restaurant. I knew how to like, you know, it wasn't like really hard running it. It was just the startup that was hard, but yeah, that's basically how I got a food truck. Right. And then this food truck, um, it, it was named a little bit differently than uh, the ramen shop that you're running now, right? Yeah, it was a different concept. Okay. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the concept of the food truck? Yeah, sure. Um, so I like spicy food and uh, I love spicy ramen. And so I kind of wanted it to be like, uh, I, it was my dream to do like spicy ramen at first. And like, uh, I wanted to do spicy ramen in a food truck and, you know, uh, I basically used like the Oni's face or whatever. My, my friend who's an artist, uh, did it and we thought it, I thought it was really cool. And I was like, okay. And you know, it's kind of like a food truck. So it's like a, kind of like a modern take on, uh, Yatai. So I was like, all right, you know, like Oni Yatai, like pretty simple name, like, you know, kind of like it kind of like goes hand in hand with like, uh, like, I feel like when you saw the red food truck and the red, like Oni face and like, you know, you like saw that we did like spicy tonkotsu, spicy miso, and like any, you can make any bowl spicy and stuff like that. Like it kind of just like, you know, it kind of like, uh, made people think of spicy and stuff like that. And I just liked the logo a lot and yeah, I just went with that and that's how we came up with that. So you were mainly serving then spicy tonkotsu or other spicy bowls? Yeah. Spicy miso, spicy tonkotsu and spicy shoyu. And we had regular versions as all of those. And then we also ran some specials here and there too. Right. And then you were uh, driving all over the place. That was already in Portland. No, that was in Salem where I'm from. Okay. Uh, Salem. Yeah. So yeah, I was on, yeah. So I was in Salem when I started that at this place called the yard food park. And it was like a place. So I was pretty specific when I was choosing a location, uh, 
I thought about it. I was like, okay, if I'm doing ramen in a food truck, what do I need? Because I don't want to do like to go ramen basically. Like I basically want to give people like the restaurant experience from a food truck somehow. And I was like, there has to be tables right there. And this place had like a full bar. It had indoor seating. They did live concerts all the time. It was like a food hall setup. So it was like unlimited seating. So a line would never like pack up or anything like that. And we could like just keep like pumping numbers out. And then I found bowls that worked really well for like what we were trying to do. And then I had bowls for it to go if someone wanted it to go and we could separate noodles and stuff like that. Just things like that. Um, it was just like, I thought, you know, that was important to me was picking the location that had seating and that was like not open to the elements since it rains a lot here in Oregon. All right. And then how did that work out? I'm mean, just a few more words about the, the food truck. You did like all the preparation then in like a professional kitchen or at home and then no. just did the serving or everything was done in the food truck. Everything mostly was done in the food truck besides the noodles. Uh, which would have been like impossible to do like in the food truck on like the scale that we were like selling bowls so like uh i had to use a third party location for that but it was i was at first i was on like a like a little chinese machine that i bought off of ebay and it was like pretty dangerous it was like a sketchy machine but it it did what i needed it to do while it like was a thing or whatever but it was like backbreaking to use that thing and uh i was spending so many because i would i would have to drive 30 minutes to make noodles in the morning or 30 minutes to make noodles at night or whatever. And then I'd have to be making the noodles, mixing dough, weighing everything out. And then it like at that food truck place, you were only allowed to be open. Like you could be, if you're not open six or seven days a week, you're not allowed to close for prep in the middle of the day. So I was, and I was like the only one who could make the noodles, uh, the soups, things like that. And like, so I was basically just running from like seven in the morning till like two o'clock at night, a lot of the times. And we also weren't allowed to be at the food truck. Like they locked the gates and stuff like after like 10 or 11, depending on the night. So I couldn't prep very long. We had to time every, like timing had to be like on point every day. We were selling out a lot. because like we couldn't keep up with numbers for a lot. because I'd have to like go like prep noodles or things like that. And like, we got pretty popular, like really fast. And like, yeah, it was really hard to keep up with. And then I found the Yamato uh, on Craigslist actually for a really good deal and uh that like saved my back <laughs> in like a lot of time but still even then i was still working like 13 hour days 14 hour days like every pretty much every day and the days my days off were like 10 hours of just doing will calls and pickups because you know food trucks don't have much storage space so we can't order like big items so like a lot of time we weren't able to order enough stuff for delivery Like I can't order 500 pounds of bone or $500 worth of bones and like store them in a food truck. So we'd have to like order like whatever amount we'd need, like, and then go pick them up. So I was like, and the, the, the farm that I was using that had like really good quality bones was like an hour and a half for me. So I'd have to drive there, drive back, prep stuff, cook soup. Like, so even on my days off, it was still like, you know, I was working like 10 hours and then on my days on, I was working like 13 hour days. So it was, it was like, I was getting pretty burnt out. And then after like, you know, almost a year in that food truck, I was like, dude, I need to like get a restaurant. And that's basically where that came to an end. Right. So then you transitioned from the food truck to a restaurant. Like how, how did that go? How did the transition work out? It was rough, but like, I'm glad I did it because it, my life is way better now. Um, but so it was, um, uh, so I basically, it was like, 
I found the spot like almost like immediately, like within like a week, I was like already like signing papers and stuff like that. But like, I just looked up stuff. I was like commercial kitchen spaces in Portland or I wanted to move to Portland. I wanted like a bigger audience and stuff like that. And uh, I was like commercial kitchen space, uh, Portland, Oregon. And then I found it and was just like, like, oh dang, like, okay, that was quick. This spot looks good. I hadn't seen it in person yet. And then uh, I, w I like scheduled a meeting to see it. And then I was like, okay, I like it. Uh, has pretty much everything I need. It came with a lot of stuff. Uh, and then uh, I, you know, just signed papers and I was in. So that was uh, probably a little bit on the easier side when it comes to finding a location. I know that uh, others are struggling quite a bit finding appropriate uh, yeah, locations for their ramen shops. So I guess you had like a little bit of an easier time there. Yeah, I feel like i feel like sorry uh i feel like certain people might not have wanted to use this space but you know i was like i needed to get out of that food truck so like i'm kind of doing what i can with what i have but like at the same time i was like i couldn't have done it in the food truck much longer like i, I mean i guess i could have but like i was so burnt out in that food truck that i just needed to get out of there and this space i was like i can make it work so i was like at the bare minimum, I can make it work. So let's just get out and do this because, you know, I had enough space for my machine. I was able to, and, you know, we're pushing what we're pushing now. And, I mean, we're able to do it. So, I mean, I guess I was right. <laughs> so what happened in the, uh, with the food truck in the end? So I owned my own food truck, but it was too big for that space that we were at. And so I ended up selling that one and leasing one for my old boss, where I, the boss that I was building food trucks for. And uh, I was, it was just a lease, so I ended up giving that back and taking whatever equipment I wanted out that was mine. And then, yeah, and then the other food truck that I actually owned, I had sold to a guy who owns like a fried chicken shack thing. All right, so the food truck itself is still in that location? No, it's gone. Uh, okay. It's back, it's back uh, with the people that I leased it from. Okay, got it. So the red Oniatai food truck is no more? Nope. Uh, yeah, for now, anyway. For now, okay. I I hear there's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hearing, um, I'm sensing that there's maybe a future plan for that in the future. Yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll make a comeback. Uh, I'm focusing on what I'm doing right now, but you know, uh, I got I got plans for the future for sure. I'd like to, I'd like to bring it back. Like if I do, uh, if I do another food truck, I'd probably bring it back under the name Oniyatai rather than Menyahokase and keep them separate because the concepts are separate. Okay, great. Well, then let's talk a little bit about uh, Menya Hoksei. Um, so what is the idea behind it? What is the concept? I, I've seen you opened up in the end of August, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Like like I said, like Oniyatai, I kind of, it was like my concept for like doing uh, spicy ramen out of a food truck, essentially. And as fun as that was... Um, it was a little limiting. Like I didn't really want to like at the end of it, like I always had so many ideas for so many different ramens. Like some days I was just like, damn, I really want to do like a really clean shio or like, I want to do like, uh, like, you know, like some kind of like Python, like a clam Python or like, just like, I just would always have like different ideas. And like, I was like, I want to do this. And like, I didn't really want to be stuck just doing spicy ramen, even though I like doing spicy ramen, I wanted to like, you know, swap up the theme. And then I was like thinking, I was like, you know why would it, why would I keep this same name 
that like I guess kind of represented a different thing than I was trying to go for and like I was like all right well like what are we doing like I want to make a movement in Oregon with ramen I want to be like true craft ramen in Oregon and like like really hyper focus on ramen in the Pacific Northwest so I wanted to have something to do with that and I wanted to be using a lot of Northwest ingredients and stuff like that and so I uh basically used the name Northwest and Menya, keep it simple and like just like straightforward to the point like you know we're the noodle shop in the northwest <laughs> making making ramen trying to trying to utilize what we got here to make the best ramen we possibly can and that's kind of how i came up with that and then i came up with the logo and then thought it looked cool and then it was just like all right let's run with it i mean it sounds like a cool concept um is there for people who have never been at your shop, like what is the first thing they should try? Do you have like a a, a standard menu where you, we could say like, okay, this is my main bowl that I'm really proud of, or should they maybe aim for like the specials that you have, or what would you recommend? Oh, if we're running a special, get the special because uh, specials are awesome. Like you can get other stuff on the menu pretty much any other day, but uh, we have so we have classic bowls. And then we have house bowls. So uh, like the house bowls, like the kind of like ones that utilize like or all Oregon ingredients for the most part, obviously not every single ingredient and it's from Oregon, but like, or the Northwest or whatever, but most of them are, uh, would be the Hokusei Shoyu and the uh, Saniam Shio, which one is a chicken and uh, salmon based one. And uh, the other one is a uh, beef and uh, truffle, depending on, uh, what what time of the year it is we change up the truffles like right now we're using uh burgundy autumn truffles and then uh in spring we're gonna switch to oregon white truffles because that that's what will be in season things like that i mean it sounds quite elegant um using these kind of like high mm, i'm gonna say quite luxurious ingredients um like how did you how did you come up with like combining something that's quite luxurious and something let's say so humble, like a bowl of ramen. Because they're ingredients indigenous to the Northwest. Like it, like it just happens to be like one of the places on the planet that like <laughs> has truffles naturally or whatever. Like I think like the Northwest, these ones are technically coming from Washington, but it's like still the Northwest, Pacific, Pacific Northwest or whatever. And then there's Oregon white truffles and things like that. But yeah, it was basically just that. I just wanted to like, you know, it goes beef, and mushroom go really good like ribeye and truffle go like amazing together beef broth and show you like just show you i mean i wanted to show you like i want to do a show you in a shio basically like really clean flavors highlight the oregon ingredients you know i'm not gonna do like i mean i guess you could i'm not gonna say no to anything i was gonna say i probably wouldn't use those ingredients on a like yokotsu but you know i would like you could make that good that would that would you could make that good for sure i'm not gonna say no to that you know maybe i'll run that as a special now <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fantastic honestly those are the kind of bowls i really want to try in the states that use like local stuff i don't really want to get you know copies from the stuff that i know from japan because you know it's gonna be difficult to really recreate uh what's what's happening here in japan without the ingredients here from japan so um, i think like adapting to what's locally available is actually the way to go yeah and it's it's kind of fun and it's like almost like uh you know i'm like pretending like i'm starting my own style i'm not that good though but like you know that'd be cool to maybe like 
but Oregon, like Oregon, like Portland has an insane amount, like a high concentration of ramen shops. So like, and so far I like the ramen community here is like actually like really cool. Like when, you know, like everything happened to me that happened to me, like a lot of the ramen shops, like, you know, were checking on me, came to my aid and there's a ramen shop right around the corner from me. That's like, it's, it's like a 30 second walk for me and me and the owner like ended up becoming friends and stuff like that. People always ask if we're in competition. I was like, no, we do different styles, man. But that, like, we're like, we're cool and stuff like that. Like the ramen community here's like been pretty cool so far. All the like local shops that aren't like big chains. I'm friends with most of the owners or at least like the managers or whoever, like, you know, like, cause when I, when it's my day off, I just go eat ramen, which I don't actually get days off. But when I go out for lunch, I go for ramen. Yeah. Sounds understandable. I think there's something kind of similar here in Japan, especially between shops that don't make the same style. Although like some of the shops, if they make the exact same style, you, you do feel that there's a, a certain sense of competition. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big village of people that are connected. And then you often see if you follow some of the, the chefs, the ramen chefs here in Japan, also that use Instagram or Twitter, they often go on their days off uh, to other ramen shops, just, you know, to see what's out there. You see them, you know, take pictures together and so on. So it's pretty cool. Uh, it's uh, interesting to see or hear that there's something similar going on in Portland. Yeah, yeah. It was actually kind of crazy. The shop around the corner from me, uh, I was, you know, uh, Alex, uh, Darth Gastromany? Yes. So he, uh, I, I went to one of his pop-ups and, you know, I like support his stuff and like he's, he's like really good or whatever. I was wearing one of his Ramen Teose shirts and uh, I went, it was before I opened my shop and I went into the shop around the corner from me and there was a guy in there that kept like looking at me or whatever and like I was just like oh man does he like know who I am somehow or whatever like I was like okay you know whatever and I'm like bussing my dishes because like a lot of the restaurants here are like self-bussing in Portland and uh he's like do you own a ramen shop and I was just like uh yeah uh and he's like where at and I was like well we're not open yet but I have a food cart out in Salem and uh I'm opening one actually pretty close and he was like, oh, okay. And then I was just like, why, why would you ask that? And he was like, you're wearing a ramen shirt. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And he's like, he like read the name, like the, cause he's Japanese. He like read what it said or whatever. And I was like, yeah. And, uh, I was like, yeah, this is, he's like, that's your shop. And I was like, no, this is my buddy's pop-up out in LA. He works at a shop called ramen shack though. And then he was like, oh, Keizo shop. And I was just like, yeah, I was like, dang. And he's like, yeah, <clears throat> I know him. And I was like, really? Like from where? And he's like, I know him from back in New York. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I guess he used to uh, buy soup from Keizo uh, way back in New York and stuff like that. And then like, I talked to Keizo and I was like, oh, hey, you know this guy? And he's like, what's his name? And I was like, Taka. And he's like, oh, no way. Like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah. We go back and I was like, oh, damn, small world. And like, like you said, just like, it's, you know, it's kind of like a small community, but like all of them know each other. And yeah, Keizo was like, yeah, dude, that guy's like kind of like an unsung hero, like a silent, like silent ramen killer dude he's good and like i i really like his ramen yeah now me and him are like buddies and stuff like that and he's a really cool dude well would you be willing to give up the name of the ramen shop so people know and can visit absolutely um his shop's name is wurons w-o-r-o-n-s and it's off hawthorne and water street in portland oregon right off the hawthorne bridge good stuff nagahama style tonkotsu Takasan kills it. He's a good dude. And tell him I sent you. 
<laughs> All right, you might get a discount or maybe an additional Ajitama or something. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's get a little bit into, you know, the story uh, until a couple of weeks ago. I guess everything was running smoothly with your ramen shop. You're, you know, s uh, slinging noodles left and right and some noob, uh, and some soup with, uh, with it. And then suddenly everything grind to a halt. Um, can you maybe tell us a little bit what happened? Yeah. Um, so basically, um, from when I opened, like everything was like hectic. You know, I had to open an entire restaurant by myself, move out of the food truck, swap businesses, do all the legal stuff and like just change everything. So it was really hectic. And like we had finally started like catching up to where I wanted to be and like, you know, we're doing our thing. And then I wasn't really getting any nights off because, you know, opening restaurants like insane, like it's just a lot of work and then running restaurants, a lot of work. So and we had to hire people slowly. And then I finally got staffed up and then basically um, I had a night off. Like I was like, hey, dang, you guys like, you know, we're fully staffed. Like you guys are killing it. Like everyone is trained up finally. Like I was like, you know, I think I could take a night off. And then, yeah, I uh, went, picked up my friend and then we went out. And uh, yeah, basically long story short, someone um, tried to steal my car. And like when they opened the door, they stabbed me in my neck and uh stabbed me like a couple times in my leg and they hit like an artery or whatever and i like uh yeah it was basically like once i like realized what was like i was being attacked i was like what the heck and like it was all like super quick it was like really really fast and then like i was like what the fuck are you doing and like you know shoved them away and like they just like ran basically and like they caught the guy like two days later he was like some psycho tweaker and then um i like turned to my friend who i was with and like I guess I was just like, who the hell was that? And then they said like, my eyes just rolling back my head cause he hit like an artery in my leg. So I started to bleed out. And then, you know, next thing I know I'm waking up, the cops are shining a light in my eyes and they're like, sir, keep calling me, you've been stabbed. And I was like, no, I haven't. And I looked down and I was covered in blood. Then boom, everything goes black. And then I'm like, boom, I'm on the like ground and the medics are like talking to me. Then boom, I'm in a stretcher. Boom, I'm in the, uh, the ambulance and then boom i'm in the hospital bed and they're like you have to go through surgery blah blah blah. and then boom i'm in my hospital bed like you know on oxycontin and morphine and stuff and they're like you know i'm there for a few days i start to go fund me and then uh everyone came out like of the woodwork and like really uh showed out and um show their support and all the ramen shops around here all the ramen shops around the country even people that just reposted which by the way if anyone you know is listening or whatever like that shared donated or like reposted or anything or just reached out thank you um and then i got out of the hospital and uh you know i was healing a little bit but i wanted to get back to work as fast as i could and then like my nerve started to reawaken because he, he hit the nerve in my leg and stuff and I was like it was like debilitating we tried reopening and I just couldn't do it and then I went to do a checkup at the hospital for like infection and stuff like that just because you know I had a, a checkup uh scheduled and then they found like blood clots in my lung from the surgery and from like the deep stab wounds and stuff like that it just like had caused blood clots because I guess that happens and um yeah, I ended up having to stay in the hospital again. And then when I finally got out of there, it was Thanksgiving. And then the next day was my birthday. And then that weekend we prepped and then reopened and we've been reopened ever since. 
All right. So that's quite the story. And I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you're doing much better. I mean, the whole story uh, just following along was like, wow, uh, that really sucks. And um, that was my first night off, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what you get for that. <laughs> I know. That's what I said. I was like, damn, man, universe. The universe just said, not yet. You're not ready. Keep working. <laughs> Maybe next year. Better stay in that restaurant. I mean, at, yeah, I at, know. <laughs> at first, um, I thought you might have been just stabbed for like a bowl of ramen or like somebody was unhappy with their overcooked egg or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Fuh. Fully hard-boiled Ajitama? What the hell? Exactly. Dude, I mean... Sir, this is Chikasoba. <laughs> I do post, uh, you know, all kinds of ramen and all kinds of egg varieties on the internet, um, on Reddit and what whatnot, on Instagram. And people have strong opinions about Ajitamas, like how they're supposed to be, what's overcooked, what's uh, what's the perfect one. Uh, you wouldn't believe. And I... <laughs> yeah, I, I could imagine, like, going, someone just going ballistic, like, no, this is overcooked. <laughs> like, it's not oh, no. supposed to be. No, a bunch of people thought it happened in Portland, too. Like, I don't know, like, in the States, there's, like, a lot of political stuff that's, like, surrounding Portland, like people use Portland as an example for like whatever their political fiasco in their own mind is. And, uh, dude, people were like reposting my thing and trying to make a political thing out of it. They're like, this is what happens if you vote for this party, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, uh, first off, and a, bu a bunch of people were like reposting it and being like, what happened to this city? And I like would message all of them directly. And I'd be like, Hey, just so you know, like you can have your own opinion or whatever, but like, it didn't even happen in Portland. It happened in Salem. Like, <laughs> So, I mean, I know you want it to be like a huge issue and like a political thing with Portland, but it's just, I'm sorry, it's not like it was in a different city. <laughs> it's kind of weird, actually, but, you know. I mean, that's just the States these days, I guess. I, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> right. I mean, also, not exactly a criminal mastermind trying to steal a car while somebody's in there. Yeah, I'm not sure if he saw me in there because I have like really long, dark hair. And like, uh, I was wearing all black and my friend has dark hair and they were all black. And it was like the middle of the night and it was like dark out. So I, and he lived on the other side of the fence from where we were parked, like in the apartment building, I guess. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if he knew that we were in there or not. He might've just been trying to, cause I'm assuming he like goes over there and tries to break in cars at the bar just cause it's like an easy target. Like if like no one's in the car, like you can just break into the car and steal whatever's in it. And he probably just does that while people like are too drunk to drive. Like he probably just goes in there and steals what they have and they come back the next day or he tries to steal their car cause no one's there or whatever. And uh, yeah, I don't know if he knew that we were in it or not, but when he opened it, he yeah, just went straight for stabbing. Turns out this guy's like kind of a certified psycho though. He like stabbed a hotel clerk, like a lady uh, back in 2012 and then they let him out. And then he tried robbing a bank and got some money out of the till and then tried to gamble it and got busted like right away again. And then when he tried stealing from my car or stealing my car or whatever, he wasn't wearing a gloves or mask or anything. And yeah, he got caught in a stolen car like two days later, like someone else's stolen car or whatever. And they were like, oh, hey, there's a stolen car we've been looking for. And they pulled him over in some stolen car. And then they're like, oh, hey, here's that guy that we are looking for for attempted murder. And yeah, so now it's his third strike. Like he got like a bunch of felonies. He has like attempted murder, uh, assault in the first degree, use of a deadly weapon, unlawful use of a deadly weapon, and, like a bunch of charges, uh, and then also the grand theft auto for whatever car he did end up stealing like within a day or two later. 
how did they actually catch together? How did they make the connection between... So he wasn't wearing gloves, wasn't wearing a mask. He was on camera. They fingerprinted the car that I was in. Uh, so they had his prints. They were able to find him that way. And then they also had him on camera. And then they uh, just saw happened to see a stolen car in the same neighborhood. Like, they weren't really looking. Like, you know, I'm not trying to, like talk too much uh, shit but like Salem cops don't really like you know go out of their way to look for stolen cars because I've had my car stolen and I know what it is you know uh, they arrested me when I got my car stolen which I thought was insane but uh that's a whole nother story for like another day but uh they uh they saw a stolen car and like they ran the plates and like hey that's a stolen car and then uh they pulled it over and they're like, you're in a stolen car. And then they're like, oh, hey, it's you. You're the guy, you know, we have a warrant for your arrest. You're, you were wanted for attempted murder. And then they, you know, arrested him. That's how they caught him. They were already going to put a warrant out because they knew where he lived. He lived right around, like, on the other side of the fence. And they didn't even need to find him because he came to them basically by, like, driving a stolen car, like, in the same neighborhood. So that's for all the listeners out there who are in the car stealing business. Wear a mask, wear gloves, uh, don't drive around in stolen cars. I think those and are the three rules. <laughs> yeah, and don't be a tweaker and don't be dumb. <laughs> and don't just randomly stab people. Yeah, and uh, if you're gonna, I guess like you'll be more successful if you like follow through and actually take the car. <laughs> but once again, I don't, I'm not even sure if like he knew someone was in there. I think he might have just reacted, but I don't know. He was a psycho. He was definitely on drugs when he opened my door. Well, again, I'm, I'm just really happy you're doing better now and then, you know, you survived the whole ordeal i mean that was i guess there were a few moments where that was not a certainty oh yeah they said like i had about like uh like 15 minutes to live before i would have bled out oh geez yeah that was weird like like, like i said like i you, you pass out pretty quickly like i was maybe oh conscious for like one minute after it happened if that and then i was just out wow oh, incredible and then I guess the good thing that came out of it, I mean, you, you set up the GoFundMe to, I guess, uh, take care of the uh, medical bills and to <laughs> keep the, the doors open of your shop, right? To keep everybody paid and keep paying the rent. I mean, I'm not sure what exactly this all covers. Uh, yeah, so um, I've never had to have, like, I've broken bones and stuff like that, but I've never had to have, like, surgery. Like, I've got pretty lucky. Like, I broke my arm, my ankle, I broke my nose a few times. Uh, you know, I've had, like, a lot of dental stuff done. I've, like, always gone through injuries and stuff from, like, skateboarding and just random stuff and just living a wild life when I was younger or whatever. And then um, I never had to have surgery. And, you know, I said it. I didn't. So everything was in evidence. I didn't even have my phone or anything when I set up the GoFundMe. They had all my stuff in evidence, my car. I wasn't able to get any of my stuff back for like a week almost. And that sucked. Uh, so I had to do it all off my mom's phone in the hospital. And like, yeah, uh, I set it to 20,000 because I was just like, they didn't tell me how long I was going to be in there. I had no clue how like the severity of my injuries. I had no clue like you know, I didn't know anything. I was like, maybe I'll be in here a day or two. And they're like, we don't know how long you're going to be in here. We need to like monitor you. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, it can't be more than 20,000. There's no way. I thought I was going to be in there in three days, out, out of there in three days. I didn't think about nerve damage or like anything like that, like debilitating pain or anything. So I was like, you know, 20,000 should be enough and we'll be open next week. And then that's not how that works, I guess. And, uh, 
yeah, I ended up staying in there for like, I think four days or something. It was like from Friday and I got released on Tuesday, I think, however many days that is. And, uh, you know, I had to have surgery while I was in there, like immediate surgery because they had to like tie off the artery or do whatever they do with the artery to stop it from bleeding. Cause arteries just don't stop bleeding once they're open, I guess. And, uh, that's how you die if you get stabbed <laughs> artery. Um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, my friend who was with me, um, she helped me get insurance. So I thought I was in, had insurance until that week. And I didn't because of some like miscommunication with the insurance or whatever. And like, it just, I guess I just didn't have insurance, but thought I did. And then I got on the Oregon health plan and they covered it luckily. And so all of that money, uh, went towards paying my employees and reopening the shop, paying the rent for the shop and things like that. And like, it, it really helped. And, uh, I had to like reopen the shop twice technically, which sucked cause, um, you know, we tried reopening and then I had to go back to the hospital, which was like a nightmare. And I basically had to restart everything again once I got out of the hospital a second time. So luckily we had that money backing us. Cause yeah, if it wasn't for that, we were still only in the restaurant. We were only two months in when this happened, like two, two and a half months in. Like, you know, I didn't, I meant like all my money went into that, like opening the restaurant. I hadn't stacked up enough money just to like, let it sit for like an entire month and just like, you know, like, you know, I, I'm like a small business owner and like, you know, I wasn't like, uh, I don't just have like unlimited stacks of money to just keep a business going. I don't have any investors. I'm in this alone. So it really, it was really cool that like everyone like came to my aid and helped me out with that. And, uh. Yeah, I when when I got out of the hospital the first time, just the first time, not even including the second time, I was like, I was like, oh, so you guys were able to find my insurance? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we found it, you're covered. And I was like, just like for shits and giggles, like, how how expensive would it have been? Like, I want to know if like my GoFundMe would have covered it. And like, she was like, oh, it was gonna be like fifty four thousand oh, dollars. And I was geez. like, I was like, oh my god. I was like, okay, yeah, I would have been like fucked for like at least the next like 10 years of my life on that one. Wow. Um, I think that's a more appropriate commentary on the political system in the US than, you know, people uh, thinking that Portland is the cause of uh, the attack. Yeah, um, like, and you know, you could, people can say whatever they want about their uh, political opinions, but uh, shout out to whoever voted in Oregon Health Plan because that stuff helps. <laughs> I mean, not to get all political here, um, for me as a German, it's absolutely wild that, you know, such a healthcare system exists where it's like possible that you're just super bankrupt, like $54,000. That's like a Porsche or something. I don't know. That's crazy. That's a substantial amount of money. I mean, completely wild to me. I'm just for, for four explain. days. Four days. I don't even know if I, I could rack that up in like gambling debts or something. I don't like that's insane. Like fifty four thousand dollars. Like when she said that, my heart dropped. I was like, wait, wait, wait. I'm I'm covered though, right? And she was just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're covered. You're covered. And I was just like, whoo. And they're like, and then she said, and if there's anything left over, we'll definitely bill you. And I was like, I'm sure you will. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So and the GoFundMe hit the target of twenty k. No, it uh, was short 2K, 18,000, and uh, which is fine. I mean, like I said, it was enough to get us going again. Like anything helped. Like I said, even if people donated a dollar, it didn't matter. 
um but yeah we hit 18 18k and uh i cut off the gofundme i deleted it like three four days ago five days ago i don't, I don't remember when i did it but i posted about it when i did it because i kept it up like a couple days into operation just to be safe mm -hmm. and then once we were about like a week into operation i just deleted it i was like okay like you know it's not right to ask for money when we're making our own money again like you know so right you know, now we're back to making our own money and operating and then how does that work like you get the money paid out at once or it's like a trickle or you immediately well, get the access to the money a little bit of a little bit of both it was uh it's trickle i guess like i think you can kind of choose a few options but uh i needed money right away but like dude it blew up like hardcore like most of the money came in the first three days like almost i think it was like we were at like 16k in three days and then the rest of it just like kind of trickled in slowly so we got like 14,000 like all at once but it took a few days and then um yeah that's basically just how that went okay so that also means like you guys are good to go for the next couple of weeks months years hopefully um you you kept the doors open you're running with speed now again is that what I'm understanding right? Yeah, we're we're good to go. I'm walking. I can't run yet, just yet, but I can like do a light like jog and whatever. But yeah, we're we're running, we're operating, we're doing good. All right, fantastic. Well, it's really good to hear. Um, I I would have wanted to do this episode a little bit earlier, to, you know, to support the GoFundMe. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm happy that it's not necessary anymore <laughs> to promote the GoFundMe. That you guys are are doing good. You're you're healthy. The shop is up and running. I mean, that, that's all the good news we need, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, then let's talk maybe like a, a few more minutes about uh, what ramen in Portland is like. Like, do you you already mentioned the, there's a good community and there's quite a few ramen shops, right? Uh, I think you guys have substantial Asian population, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, from what I've seen. <laughs> um, yeah, the ramen's ramen's pretty good. Uh, the people here, that I I definitely consider Portland a ramen city like in america like by american standards for sure 100 percent uh i actually went to a convention recently that was uh so i'm, I'm a member of uh JSO, which is japanese american society of oregon and uh they uh put on a convention with ajinomoto uh here in portland recently and i went to it it was like for members or whatever and uh it was pretty cool it was like a little educational thing on like what ajinomoto does a little bit about their history and stuff like that and it was cool they had like open bar and free sushi and stuff like that so that was nice but uh yeah it was uh it was crazy i kind of like learned about a little bit more about like the japanese community here and like how trade was set up with portland and how portland's actually like one of the main trade centers for japan in america and i didn't know that then, you know, like Sapporo is like our sister city here and stuff like that, which is a huge reason why I have like miso on the menu. And also, I just like it. And not a lot of shops do a good miso up here yet. So I I really, uh, really uh, thought that was important. And I thought it was cool that Sapporo was our sister city and all that stuff. And yeah, there's a huge trade with Japan here. And uh, there's, yeah, a lot of uh, Japanese influence in like the area, uh, pretty good Japanese community and a lot of uh, resources and stuff available. All right. And then could you maybe, you know, just for the people who might visit Portland in the future, do you have maybe a couple of favorites, maybe one favorite or maybe up to three that you could, you know, send people to, of course, besides your own shop? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, uh, let's see, Woo Runs. That's uh, my favorite one. It's right around the corner. Like, that's what I eat, like, at least three times a week, usually. Maybe more sometimes. Uh, they do everything good. Their shoyu's good. Their tonkotsu's the best. Uh, in the city, their tonkotsu's probably the best I've had. Uh, definitely. I really like it a lot. Um, their curry's good. They, they're, yeah, everything they do is good. And Takasan's really, really awesome guy. He's, he's cool. Um, like I said, if you go there, tell him Ryan says what's up. Uh, and then also Baka Umai. They do a lot of cool, innovative bowls. Uh, they're really awesome. Uh, Bobby's cool. Tell him I sent you also. Baka Umai, B-A-K-A-U-M-A-I. Baka Umai. They're really good. And then, Let's see, other shops I like. Mm, Sanyo by Ramen Ipo was really good. Um, the owner there is really cool. Tell him I sent you to. <laughs> His name's uh, Daisuke, uh, but he goes by Dice. They do a really good, they do a really good one. And then he has another, it's a food, that's a ramen food cart. Uh, they're good. And then he has another one called Ramen Ipo. I haven't been there yet. But I'm sure it's good. One specializes, I think, more in like Tantan Men, and the other one, I believe, and then the other one, uh, the Ramen Ipo, is more like Shoyu. So yeah, check them out. They uh, make their own tares and everything. Uh, they're they're awesome. Uh, and then I, for miso, I would say, well, uh, Taco over at Wuran's does a good miso, but also um, Ramen Ryoma. Uh, connected to Wajimaya and Beaverton does a really good one. I haven't been to their downtown location. Um, I would say, well, I guess I was, I guess I was three. That was three. <laughs> I'm going to hit more shops and I'll have more options. That was actually four, but you know, I'll have more options in the future, but we also have things like, uh, Kazuki, a furry, uh, Ryoma is like kind of more of a chain too. Uh, so Ryoma, a furry and like, uh, Kazuki, they're more like chain ramens, uh, but they're pretty good. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I would say my favorites in Portland are Wurons, Baku Umai, and then Senyo is pretty good. Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, man. I, I'll hit more. I, I've been trying to, I have a lot on my hit list. All right, we might do a Portland, you know, round in the future to talk a little bit more about what's going on. I think uh, Darth Cross Romani uh, might, you know, has something to say about things. I think Elvin also used to live in Portland in the past. He might also have some opinions. So maybe that's a that's a, an idea for a future episode to really talk in detail about what's going on in Portland. Maybe invite some of the people you just mentioned. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure they also have some opinions on what's going on. Uh, yeah, I tried to get Taka to do uh, Way of Ramen. He, he's, he's shy though, he doesn't want to. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll hit some people up or whatever. Um, I, yeah, I, I, want, I haven't actually met Elvin yet, uh, but we talk and stuff like that. He doesn't live in Portland anymore. I think he lives in Washington. Uh, but yeah, I want to I wanna meet all the ramen people around here. I've been meeting people here and there. And yeah, uh, Alex is coming up to work for me at the end of the month. So we're going to be crushing bowls out here in Portland and trying to make some magic happen at the shop, running specials all the time. I got specials lined up to February that I came up with. And then, you know, Alex is special madman. He, he, he'll have, he has like a, probably a black book, like secret black book where he can just come up with stuff, you know? Yeah. That might be a good idea for, um, a beyond Japan episode in uh, 2023. Let's see what we can do about that.
Yeah, maybe maybe we could do a maybe if uh, he's listening, maybe Elvin can uh, come down to Portland. Me, him, and Alex can go like do a like you know crush some bowls around here, and uh, we'll do a round table or something one day. <laughs> exactly. Great. Is there anything else you would like to talk about? Anything else you would like to mention, or maybe uh, some other future plans? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you're booked out with uh, just slinging ramen for a while now. Yeah, um, I don't know. Like, I just want to make really good ramen. My focus is on that right now. I want to build a community in Portland. Uh, I want to push the bar for making better ramen. I want, um, I just want, yeah, I just want people to make better ramen. I want myself to make better ramen. I want there to be good ramen to eat on my day off. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. I want to run specials. I want to, like, you know, keep innovating and keep trying to do better. And then, like, goal is to one day make it to japan um i was actually supposed to be there for my birthday this year but i was in the hospital instead like basically that whole week so i had tickets from november 21st to december 2nd and i had bought them like in the summertime and yeah i didn't get a go and that's the second time i haven't got a go so i'm just like oh okay first time was because covid happened like that week and then this time because i got stabbed so one day the universe might let me have more than half a night off and I'll be able to make it to Japan. So, you know, that's a life goal. Well, when you're over here, please hit me up and I'll buy you a bowl. Okay, deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then uh, let's maybe tell people where they can find you. Um, where's your ramen shop exactly? Like uh, on social media, where, where can people find you? Okay, so you can find us at 80 Southeast Madison Street, Portland, Oregon. 97214 underneath the Hawthorne Bridge inside the Waterman building suite 100 up the stairs to the left it's only like five stairs you can't miss it uh and on social media we are menya underscore hokusei m-e-n-y-a underscore h-o-k-u-s-e-i and then my personal business is ryan dot wants dot ramen and I post on both of those for stories um, regarding specials, closures, whatever's going on, any news to do with them. I'm posting on both of those. So uh, turn on those notifications and uh, check us out or whatever. And yeah, we'll be here. We're open seven days a week. We're here for the long haul and uh, we're here to make good ramen and try and make the best ramen we can and uh, serve it to you. So if you're ever in Portland, come through and we'll get you a good bowl of ramen. And hopefully we are using some good Oregon ingredients so you can see what the ramen scene here is all about. All right. Yeah, if I'm in Portland, I'll definitely drop in. You'll be the first one to know. Yeah, and if you come to my shop, you can also just like double down and hit Woo Ron's right around the corner. <laughs> it's like a back-to-back. -back. If you can crush two bowls, you can crush one at my place and one at his place. <laughs> All right, that sounds like a plan. <laughs> Great. Ryan, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. It was a pleasure to talk to you. I hope Menya Hoxay has like a long future ahead of it. Uh, no more stabbings in between. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on and uh, taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. It was, it was fun to talk and I love doing this stuff. So and I like just talking about ramen in general. So, you know, anytime. All right, we'll have you on again in the future. And uh, yeah, to all the listeners out there, thanks for listening. That's all for this episode. And next episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about ramen in Japan again. So stay tuned. And until next time. <laughs>